Welcome to Asia Rising, a podcast from La Trobe Asia. I'm your host for this episode, Dr. Ruth Gamble, a DECRA Fellow in History at La Trobe University. I'm taking over hosting duties today because we're going to focus on a subject that I, as a historian, have a vested interest in. The ways that we, as societies, understand, engage with, use, manipulate, and sometimes abuse history. This manipulation has been happening all over the world for many centuries, but we rarely discuss the profound effects it has had on world history and our personal identities. Today, we're going to talk specifically about the relationship between India's government and its history. But before we do, it seems important to acknowledge that the longer backstory of India's history includes the potent manipulation of history and identity by Western powers that still shape world politics and economics today. It may seem logical that India's colonial experience engendered a careful approach toward history in its post-colonial civil society. But as we're going to find out today, this doesn't seem to have been the case always, and particularly lately. For those of you who need a primer on what's been happening in India lately, in the past few decades, India has become one of the world's fastest growing economies, but it still has major issues with unemployment, rising inequality, and environmental problems. The right-wing Hindu nationalist Bharatiya Janata Party, or BJP, has been in power since 2014 and won a landslide victory in 2019. They've put a lot of emphasis on development, infrastructure projects and the like, and voters seem to really genuinely like this. But they've also been accused of multiple human rights abuses, like using the laws of sedition, defamation and anti-terror legislation to curtail debate and dissent. Their attempts to control national narratives have also extended to the history curriculum. To discuss the Indian government's approach to history and provide much more historical context to these changes than I'll ever know, I'm happy to introduce our guest for this episode, Divya Rama Gopal Krishnan, who has just finished her PhD at Melbourne University and is currently working as a tutor and research assistant with us here at La Trobe in the Department of Archaeology and History. So welcome, Divya. It's a pleasure to have you on the pod. Thank you, Ruth, for that introduction. Thank you so much. So, Divya, uh, your research usually focuses on medical history in the colonial period, right? Yes. So what is it about the recent changes in India's national history curriculum that has you so concerned that you dived into this topic? Honestly, there have been syllabus changes in the past as well. I want to get that clear that this is not the first time a government is meddling with history and distorting history, but it's during this time I'm an adult and I'm alive. So I'm <laughs> and I, a historian I, and I, I'm a historian. I yes. get to put out my opinion right. on what I think about it. Yeah. And as a budding historian, I feel like this is my responsibility to make people aware of all the changes that's been happening, especially in Australia, where Indian history is not that discussed, unfortunately. And also, I was teaching a subject called Myths, Legends and History at Latrobe. One of the topics was Rig Veda and how the contents of Rig Veda and Harappan civilization has been, you know, modified and meddled with to align with the propaganda of the current ruling party, the BJP. During that time, this news of them removing Mughal history from the curriculum was 
circulating and was in news and I was really furious because I have grown up learning about Mughal history and all of the other histories and I've been fascinated by those things and to hear that that's going to be removed from this syllabus I just thought that was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So your idea was that they were going to remove from the curriculum approximately 300 year Years of stretch history. of history yeah. that was up until the time when the British colonized India and just what pretend it didn't happen? Yeah, uh, sort of like there's a many debates around it. A lot of people will critique me and be like, "Oh no, they are not removing it completely. They're probably reducing it and, you know, making space for other important histories right right to be learned and all of that and i'm all for inclusion of other histories like from medieval time period but removal of mughal history comes with its political baggages and uh, what political baggage is that why would the indian government particularly want to remove that or reduce shall we say yeah. reduce that part of history well the idea is to create a historical narrative in which india was always a country for hindus and they associate the mughal yeah, empire mughal with empire with the muslims and the thing is sometimes people forget that mughals were not the first muslim rulers of right. south asia south asia had contact with islam like 700 years ago before the mughals came in of course there were like brutal expansion and all of that because of gorets and ghaznavids who invaded india but that was not the only way that people were in contact with islamic nation there were also like arab traders and especially in calicut and kerala there were a lot of Arab merchants and connection as well but the thing is the RSS or the Hindutva ideology would often label every Indian Muslim as sons of Babur okay so sons of the people that invaded Son, yeah, yeah invaded yeah. and Mughal is always the poster child for that right that idea but they forget that there were like contact with other islamic states as well and there were like indigenous indian muslims as well who converted to islam and sure. they were not necessarily this foreign invaders so this narrative is about you know the glorious hindu past which been ruined by foreigners who invaded india muslims being the most brutal so it's a, uh, it's a fundamentally divisive narrative divisive narrative yeah, yeah and communal you would say yeah, as communal. well right yeah So that's where removal of Mughal history becomes political yeah. and also it's I think the sheer absurdity of removal yes, of Mughal history right. because it's so closely tied with South Asian culture there are so many things that people identify as Indian actually comes from Mughal dynasty for example the red fort the Taj Mahal the Taj Mahal the quintessential yeah. Indian monument and red fort being also functioning as a political tool because the prime minister of India hoist the flag every independence day and gives his independence day speech from red fort which was lal kila in shah jahanabad or old delhi now you know how are they going to explain that and then several mughal policies and cultural influence on india and south asia is so profound that uh, reducing or removing that history just sounded absurd to me and right. and i was probably in a very <laughs> angry mode at that time and i was like <laughs> right. this is not right and all my self righteousness was like coming out and i was just like no this is not done and although i'm not a mughal history expert but i was in contact with a lot of people yeah. who 
did their research on Mughal time period, like different aspects of it. Even Mughal history itself is so vast. It is. It is connected to Central Asia as well. I was going to say yeah. into the broader Muslim world. But there's also something more kind of basic mm. <laughs> happening here that we see playing out, as I said in the introduction, across the world mm-hmm. in that you have, as a professional historian, mm-hmm. a certain investment in understanding history, mm. which sits often in contradiction with the way that nationalist narratives are constructed by governments and media and so mm-hmm. on. It speaks to what your role as a historian is and this passion that you have yeah. for history and wanting to declare it is something that historians often have yeah. to deal yeah. with in intention. Yeah. There are times though when things become so, as you said, absurd mm-hmm. um, that it feels like you need to speak out. Yeah. Is it easy to speak out as an Indian historian at the moment? As someone who's trained in history and is trying to look for nuance and complexity, is it easy to speak out? Not really. Not in a public forum or especially in a more popular forum, no. Within academic world, maybe there's still a space and you can, you know, go to conferences and all of that. But unfortunately, because of all the social media hooliganism, <laughs> if I may say so, yeah, right. it has become really difficult to put forward your opinion and your research or whatever you innately believe in your ideology or any of that. There is just so polarizing views nowadays, especially in terms of India, anything minutely critical of government or anything minutely critical of a certain ideology would just land you in trouble and you, right. know, uh, you will be called all sort of names like anti-Indian, Yeah. <laughs> sometimes unfortunately even given death threats right. and things like that. It's very serious, isn't it's it? It's very serious. So I would say in a popular forum, no. But at the same time, I can't be like it's all zero or nothing. Indians do have a clever way of finding ways to, you know, put forward their opinion. Right. So an observation I have made as a historian is like YouTube has given the safe haven for a lot of intellectuals who want to put forward their opinion. So there are a lot of uh, YouTube channels and has gained a lot of popularity uh, who present actually better analyzed and better researched stories and you know political debates but it does uh, sound like there's almost a kind of a battle for um, yeah, narratives yeah. happening here between yeah. people who are trying to uh, work through the nuance and complexity of Indian history and then yeah. more kind of nationalist or sectarian even yeah. narratives and mm-hmm. there's like tension between those two things yeah that has always been there it's right. not like it's happening for the first time See, that it, what was my next question yeah. this isn't because yeah. this isn't really something that's new. new and it's not necessarily such. only ever this government yeah, has this done. government has done. There's always been conflict. Even when Congress party was in power, there were certain debates. So, so hang on, just for for the yeah. record, the Congress party who were in charge in India from the time after independence, independence. until earlier this century. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Janata party was in... Oh, for a short period. Yeah, short, yeah. like after 1975 emergency. Yeah, two, yeah. two major um, strands in Indian politics. And both sides have engaged in the manipulation of history. Yeah, definitely. Even Congress Party was in power. It constantly manipulated, meddled with history. For example, the discussions around partition was kept at minimal sometimes. And after much of critique and constant pushback from a lot 
of historians then it was like revised and incorporated into school curriculum and all right. of that and partition was always dealt in the sense of a problem that was like very well tackled by the first prime minister of india and all of that and despite that they did this uh, and ignoring all the problems that right. you know india also created for mm, pakistan mm, for mm. example it didn't release funds for newly formed pakistan and gandhi had to go on a hunger strike to get that. to get that and all of that so that's all like brushed over and and gandhi and nehru are pushed in the forefront when they talk about india's independence struggle pushing you know ambedkar and contribution of bhagat singh and other regional freedom fighters who played an equally important role in india's struggle for independence but none of them went quite so far as to try and get rid of 300 years of history no, so no, we're getting that's, to a, that's 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 getting new, to a big yeah, that's a new step that's definitely novel yeah <laughs> so for people who aren't like both of us mm-hmm. spend all our time looking at history and it means a lot to us and mm-hmm. we can see how it shaped worlds and affects our identity so much but for people who aren't as invested in history why do you think it matters why does it matter to try and get this history right what's at stake for india if it doesn't understand all of this history somewhere or the other history somewhere leads to a formation of identity people identify with history or certain stories of the past if not the academic west european understanding of history but some stories of the past always forms a core for somebody to identify with and it also creates a sense of belonging and you know all that benedict anderson's imagined community and all of that most people don't know about imagined communities but that yeah. he came up with the idea yeah, that nation came, the whole idea of a nation, nation is imagined through the telling of history yeah, yeah. because you know you're not, you, you are not going to know everybody in the country you live with but then there is this idea of certain national emblem or stories that creates a sense of community honestly indian nationalism is very complicated because it defies all the concepts of nationalism in the first place multiple so languages because there's no one language yeah. binding although the current government is trying to push hindi to all the places but then there is another problem if they push into all these different regions they're going to have to you know deal with another problem uh, which pakistan did deal with when you know it was pushing urdu to the east one language two nations in india if they do that one language 22 nations <laughs> at least <laughs> at least i'm saying so the one common thing that creates in sense of indian nationalism is that the colonial experience right, right. the independence struggle and the post colonial india like sort of identifies as like okay we speak different languages we have different traditions because india is unique like every 100 kilometers there's a different dialect different tradition different way of cooking way of dressing everything changes so this colonial experience is something that you know sort of bound them together post independence now they don't have that common enemy so what is then binding them so the different governments had tried different strategies the congress government was like more secular and it was like pushing its own things like you know congress did yeah. that and we have to fight it like this blah 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 and all of that and then bjp is now trying to undo it they are like oh no they were like promoting secular ideas which was like not secular like secular in the yeah. name of secularism they were like feeding false historical narratives and all of that which I don't deny in mm. certain places they did mm. but it was also the need of the hour right at that time to create a cohesion to create a cohesion and honestly I am very critical of Jawaharlal Nehru as well 
but that man had to deal with a lot <laughs> like right. gandhi being assassinated this tons and tons of refugees flooding mm-hmm. india and on top of it there are like different languages and mm-hmm. constitution is not being created and he had to come up with some way to bind everything bind, together yeah. so and then they were like okay let's brush over certain problematic issues and then create this idea which was also a false narrative honestly mm. but then the cause behind this was like different although like subaltern studies historians critique nationalist historians it was like you ignored the caste hierarchies and you ignored the problems within it and even the indian nationalism was like a brainchild of middle class hindu upper caste men who created this idea mm, of mm. indian nationalism which doesn't incorporate adivasis and which doesn't incorporate women's right and all of that which i agree with and several historians have critiqued that mm. but doing that and then saying that india was always a hindu country and then in like opposite to contradictions basically there's too much contradiction <laughs> and then yeah. the way bjp is dealing with history is like yeah to extreme that's like so we've gone from one extreme to, in a way to another yeah but this is also brings me to something as you said nero had a lot to deal with so does the government now yeah yeah you know almost 1.4 to 1.6 billion yeah, people yeah we're the most populated yeah it's a, a big chunk so india isn't the only country that is experiencing this polarization through forces such as social media and the rise of populist leaders mm-hmm. right so we have discussions about critical race theory and other types of historical and cultural wars happening in the United States yeah. we clearly have a massive issue with not dealing with our history properly in Australia yeah. founded i have to say on a historical lie of terra nullius Mm-hmm. people are rioting on the streets in France mm-hmm. uh, because of France's colonial history and uh, unexamined problems there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's big discussions in the United Kingdom and other parts of Europe about mm-hmm. their horrible colonial legacy mm-hmm. how do you see india's situation in that context how is india's current discussion about history different from that broader polarization and that broader nationalism at the core of it you'll find a lot of overlaps but the tricky part of india is its complexity is that its diversity the thing is in other countries there's just like two or three major groups which are like uh, right. contesting uh, about the historical narrative whereas in india like i said earlier, yeah. like one language 22 nations yes. if, if they push it and then within thing. that you have caste yeah, and, caste and, and yeah so yeah. there are at least 28 versions of history yes yes and every caste every group of people every tribal community has their own version of history and has their own claims to stories of the past rather than calling it academic history they have their own versions of stories of the past so that's when the complexity comes up and so the current government sort of brushes over all that diversity and tries to create this narrative of a hindu glorious nation because that's i think the only common ground that they could find and rally everybody uh, yeah. behind i guess uh, that's where it gets complicated but then that's also like a broader strokes i won't say that's the only way there's like a lot of complexities even there like south india clearly they have not been able to polarized people on the basis of religion in southern india because religion dealt with much differently in southern india 
along with the multiple different versions of history, we also have the regional differences yes. and the linguistic differences. Yeah. And, and so one of the bigger ways that this is India's different is this how do you deal, deal with one with nation yeah, one nation with a, such a complex yeah, history such, yeah so the issue with creating a national history that's the issue so is there a way do you think that a historians you mm. know how we love making history com- well we don't make history complex history is complex and we mm. try and tell it in nuanced ways mm. do you think that there is a way that mm. it would be possible to tell a story of india mm-hmm in the national curriculum, in public spaces Mm. that dealt with all of that. And what would you like to see in Mm. that discussion going forward that would improve the situation? Well, at this point, it will be difficult because the kind of history I would like in a national curriculum would be very complex, which which will have (laughs) all the voices represented and which will have a collective complex understanding of India and its history. It is very complicated and especially India itself is so complicated and it's so diverse and everything. To incorporate all that diverse voice, it's going to be a big project. It's like climbing Mount Everest. Right. (laughs) So the thing is, if they start with one particular diverse voice represented, the voice that is opposing will stop them in their track Mm. and uh, would not let them finish what Mm. they were trying to do. So you think it's just basically too polarized at at the moment? At the moment, it's too polarized. So in future, I would want students of history and historians to have a space where they can present complex ideas be able to express all the nuances within the historical narrative, which also has space to represent all the diverse voices and, yeah. and diverse histories within India and not just be overshadowed by one particular narrative. Well, that sounds like a positive note to yeah. end on. Mm-hmm. And may this wonderful nuanced version of history flourish not just in India, but in Australia and elsewhere as well. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. So you've been listening to Asia Rising, a podcast from La Trobe Asia. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. Please leave a review. They are very much appreciated. This podcast was recorded and produced in Melbourne, Australia, on the unceded country of the Wurundjeri people. I'm Ruth Gamble, and thanks for listening.